A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yep. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll- The Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral sleepy girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knutson crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums, as there is no need for water, preservatives, or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. Uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day oh. program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact, mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This, this is, is the, the game, game of roses. Welcome to the game, game of roses. roses. So, two women dating one group of men. 
how's that gonna work? Which woman gets to date which guy? Who chooses? And then what happens if both women fall in love with the same man? Honestly, I'm not really sure. I don't want anyone to be thinking about fantasy suites. It's so early, we don't even know if we have a connection. Right. And it sounds like you have pretty sure thoughts on it. So to Actually. not even put you in that place, I do think it would be time for you to go. Okay. I'm gonna agree with her. Rachel and Gabby have realized that this whole thing is just not working for them. And to be honest, if this thing continues to go down this path, they're not gonna find love. So at the end of the day, that journey is over. But that doesn't mean they're just willing to give up. This is how it's gonna work. Gabby and Rachel have decided that the best way moving forward is to continue on their journeys separately. If you accept a rose tonight, that means you are committing to dating one woman, that woman. Bienvenue la première édition de la bataille de la bachelorette pour l'amour. Let's get it on! You cannot be the perfect bachelorette. Yeah. I wanted to be the perfect bachelor. It's impossible, Rachel. It's impossible. Right? We get put into situations that we never could have prepared for. All we can do, all you can do, is make the best decisions in real time using your intuition. Even though you're going through a storm right now, the hope is for you to fall in love with someone who loves you back for you, and they get down on one knee, and that is still totally in play. Yeah. It's just like hard. Like, I, I really appreciate everything you're saying I do. It's just, it's tough right now to... I know. You guys shouldn't be feeling this sad. Remember, there's no playbook for this thing. I know you're really excited about tonight, mm -hmm. but we do have a bit of a situation with one of your guys. Logan tested positive for COVID-19. Uh, if you think you met him outside of, so this is not real. Yeah. This is not real. Well, right? it is. Well, but, but it's yeah. not like how you normally meet people of and course, how you normally do of things. Course. You're in this insulated, mm -hmm. I guess bubble. Yeah. And in fact, for all of those of you in this audience, this news is about to change your lives forever. Well, get ready, because our amazing friends at Virgin Voyages are giving every single person in this audience a free cruise. So next week, we'll all watch the most emotional finale in Bachelorette history. And it's gonna take place right here on this stage live. And we felt it was best to wait until both Rachel and Gabby and their men could be here to address all of the drama. And of course, we'll have a live studio audience and you will all bear witness to the crazy controversy that's about to ensue. So take some time, get yourselves ready and prepare yourselves for the most shocking finale of all time. You can see the emotion on your face. It's as if you're fighting back tears. Is that, is that true? Is that how you feel? I'm always fighting back tears, Jesse. Now, when we decided to take the risk and make this season with two bachelorettes instead of one, we really felt like we were doubling our chances for a happy ending. But things just haven't turned out that way. This season really has been brutal for both Rachel and Gabby. Feels like there's been more scandal and betrayal than true love. And now it looks like happily ever after is a million miles away for both women.
Welcome to Game of Roses. This is Pace Case. This is Bachelor Clues. And as you all know, Bachelorette Season 19 has come to a close. We just witnessed... I'm so sad it's over. <laughs> yeah, me too. I have a lot of sorrow about that. Never having to watch this season again is, is a highlight of my life currently. But... Today, instead of this week in Bachelor Nation, we're going to do what we always do at the end of a season. We're going to look back at what we've just witnessed and try to peel out of it the top 10 most important things in terms of not only how it affected the season, but how these things are going to affect the game moving forward. Because as much of a disaster as this season was, and it was a disaster, there were things that were learned. It was very experimental. And I think there are things that happen in the season that will affect the game for the rest of history. So we're happy to bring that to you. Yes, DLP told us they're listening and learning. <laughs> well, that may be in our list, the Dark Lord apology. So you'll have to wait for that one. But that's what we're going to do today, our top 10 takedown and then at the or top 10 takeaways. Sorry. And then at the end of the episode, we're going to give out our season long awards for the creature of the season, the Jorge Moreno bystander of the season, face player of the season, error of the season, play of the season, et cetera, et cetera. So we hope you'll stick around for that. But before we get to it, I just wanted to issue a little message of good luck to all the players out there who are getting on their flights, who are flying out to LA, who are handing over their cell phones and personal belongings to be confiscated for the next two months, who are cutting off all mm -hmm. communication with the outside world. These are the rookies, and they are coming to Los Angeles right now to begin shooting season 27, which starts next week. Good luck to you all. May you all make deep runs and possibly even walk away with a ring or a crown. We will savor your suffering. Guaranteed. And... This is our last episode before Paradise starts next week. Can't wait for that. It's going to be an amazing season. We guarantee it. It's a guarantee. You can take that to the bank. <laughs> and I just want to say to any producers who may be listening to this or any friends of producers of our beloved game who may be listening to this, let the producer friend in your life listen to this because... We're going to make your job easy. What we're doing here is essentially a post-mortem on Bachelor at Season 19. This is everything you need to know moving forward as you're about to produce Season 27 so you don't make the same mistakes. We know that almost all the producers are the same. No one's leaving the show. Everybody who decided to do what they did in Bachelor 19 is also going to be doing 27 and the next seasons to come. So... Please take what we're saying and use it. Make it better. For me, this is uh, this is not a letter to the producers. This is a standard <laughs> top 10 takeaways for me personally, in my opinion. Yeah. That's my, uh, <laughs> my headspace going into this episode. But, you know, Clues and I, we're different people. We have different. We're very different. We are indeed different people. But we have a lot of similar ideas about this season. So let's get into it. Shall we? Let's begin with number 10. This is what we believe is the 10th most important thing that we took away from this season, and it's a big one. This was the first time in history that we had dual leads. Now, I know that may seem much more important than 10 because it was really everything that the season was is based on this, but it's also the most obvious thing. So we're, we're starting off with this. <laughs> um, 
the season was billed as two best friends helping each other find love. And we were directly lied to by the, the producers in the show itself about it not being a competition. Um, it made the entire experience seem hellish for both leads. Uh, they No one looked like they were having fun at all. And it also generated half the screen time for each lead. So we didn't really get to know them as we would have with mm-hmm. a singular lead. This also applies to half the screen time for all the players. So by the end of the season, we really didn't give a shit about any of these relationships because we didn't know who they were. I couldn't even fucking tell them apart. I kept getting Zach Shawcross and Eric Schwartz completely mixed up. At least their names. Yeah. Every episode you did. Shocking <laughs> to how consistent it was. I still think Eric Schwer is the next Bachelor. For someone who is so steeped in our beloved game and in the world surrounding it, for you to be confusing the two LMS, last man standing, it's not a good sign. And when I think about what we know about Zach Shalcross going into his Bachelor season, I'm like, he's young. He was dragged to airports to watch planes with his father. And he has a deep voice. Don't forget. He has a deep voice. He has a celebrity uncle who I guess is super MAGA. Someone told me this. I didn't know that. Patrick Warburton is? Interesting. Hmm. Hmm. And yes, the booming voice. (laughs) I think he should lean into that booming voice next season, by the way, and just go full Batman. Hello. I'm Zach Shellcross. A pleasure to meet you. He just talks like that the whole fucking time. My dad made us look at planes. <laughs> Is that deep? <laughs> I am the Batman. <laughs> well, that's more like Bane, but... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> either way, Batman or Bane, I think the... I think either choice would be a very interesting thing to, like, spice up the season. Now it's time for me to give out the Fimpros. Are you ready? (laughs) I want to take you on a one-on-one date, Batman. That is our (laughs) our number 10. And I I would also say that, you know, part of this was we came into the season not knowing how they were going to restructure the game around dual leads. Mm -hmm. And that became something interesting to watch what at least the producers decided to do, where at one point they forced an all-exiting. I think they didn't even know what they were going to do. I feel like they played it by ear. (laughs) It felt like that to me as well. Um, And that's, you know, that's something that we're going to come up with against in uh, number nine, which we're going to get to in just a minute. But for me, like part of the real interesting stuff about the dual leads was seeing what it did to the game structure, at least in this version of it as presented by the producers. You know, where they in episode three, or was it four, episode three or four, whatever it was, they made the players split into two groups to decide I'm going to pursue only this person. And then that eventually wound up in Logan's switching team. So it was like even that rule could be broken. Mm-hmm. There there did seem to be a lot of kind of like chaotic last minute decisions being made in terms of how they were going to force this new thing to affect the game structure. And I think it overall obviously was a very bad idea from the beginning. Yeah. If they were going to do an all eggs week, they should have told them at the beginning, hey, week four is going to be the all eggs one basket week. You need to pick your person that week. And I'm I'm just going to forever be curious about who made this decision. Who was the person that first had the idea we should do dual 
bachelorettes. It should be Gabby and Rachel. And I'm sure it came out of the rose ceremony from hell in Clayton Eckert season 26. Some executive, or maybe it was a high up producer, was sitting there saying they should both be bachelorettes. Mm-hmm. Seeing them clutching each other, they were like, we can have women clutching each other for a whole season. Yeah, we'll have them holding hands literally every time we see them. I do think that it had to have come from the top, this idea. Because I don't think if the idea came yeah. from the middle producer tier or lower producer tier, I don't think it reaches the top. I think it gets shot down by somebody saying, like, that's dumb. But I think if it comes from the top, nobody can shoot it down. You have to kowtow to, like, if it was Rob Mills, for example, who had this idea, the ABC executive who controls Bachelor, like, it's happening. There's nobody under him that would be like, I don't know if that's such a good idea, dude. Because then that person fears for their job. Well, it's such a departure. You yeah. know, it's completely different from what they've been doing the last since the first experimental era. Basically, we haven't seen the game change in such a significant way. I do think that this number 10 would probably be closer to number like two or three on this list. But here we go. Yeah, I just want to start with it because I felt like it's, again, the most obvious thing. Let's move on to number nine. Number nine is a direct result of number 10. This was the worst produced season in the history of the game. And we're not talking about just, uh, you know, the dual leads or whatever that idea we had in the finale, the most important episode of the season. They spoiled Gabby's engagement by showing us that she was wearing the fucking ring in that girl chat with Rachel Recchi in the Airbnb. That's just bad producing. There were numerous spoilers mm -hmm. in promos uh, for Paradise and upcoming episodes all season long. Yeah, Donnie's in Paradise, and you're like, well, he hasn't been kicked off the show yet. Just terrible. And, and the, this is like producing at just a nuts and bolts level. This isn't like the creative element of how to put the show together or what the narrative is going to be. This is just like continuity, and please don't spoil the show for me in the show itself. Uh, mm -hmm. We had these obvious producer plants like Meatball coming back after he gets kicked off in their Rose Ceremony of Rejection. These forced fucking girl chats that are like completely scripted that no one believes that are complete wastes of time that give us no new information. It's always about stuff we've already seen. The last man standing element, which we have never really seen in the show before, where you had the two final what would become your ring winners. Uh having no competition and knowing that they have no competition. So the final rose ceremonies contain no mystery, no suspense. I mean, Matt James had a last woman standing. Single lead, though. So that becomes a thing of like, is this last woman standing going to accept the proposal? Same thing with um, Clayton and, and Susie Evans. But we had this happening twice now. So they tried to produce two narratives, two leads finding their love story. Neither of them panned out to what we want as an audience, which is a traditional upholding of there are two p potential candidates. One will be selected. There, We got none of that, you know? We got double none of that. We haven't seen two people go to a final rose ceremony in a while. That is true. We also had the choice of the Peacock Sanctuary for the proposal slash final rose ceremony. The noise element of that was absurd and it and it makes a joke out of what already are kind of joke proposals somewhat because this whole thing is mired in such scandal. And then we also had the after the final rose and even in the, the final moments of the breakup with 
Tino and Recchia, it was these kind of like shitty pale echoes of what we saw Hannah Brown do to Jed Wyatt in season 15 of The Bachelorette and what we saw Ari Leyendijk do to Becca Kufrin in season 22 of The Bachelor. It's the giving back the ring, the runner-up appearing on stage at the after the final rose like Tyler Cameron did to Hannah Brown, the prolonged breakup scene in that Airbnb. It was just mm-hmm. like you could feel the producers being like, oh, we'll just do that same thing that we did. But it's like in this shit season that like we don't really know any of these players, it, it carries no weight. It's literally just a surface representation of these other moments that were like so fucking gigantic in their seasons and even in the history of the game. These real like touch point moments, they just tried to recreate them in a way that was like lazy and just strung together, in my opinion. It also was a way to victimize Rachel Recchia, but she's not our next crown. It's not like what they did with Ari and Becca, where, oh, okay, you're going to set up this strong victimization edit for Kufrin so that it propels her into her season, your hatred for Ari. Exactly. There's no reason to do that here other than a consolation prize. We know we completely fucked you over this season and made your life a living hell and uh, put you into like 15 nervous breakdowns in a row. But look, here's Avon. Oh, and all these bachelorettes are saying they have your back. So you're going to be living in their guest houses and they're going to take care of the rest of your life for you. Well, the Avon Hail Mary steal. Rachel Recchia just came out and said that Avon didn't know it would be during Tino's hot seat. So they're tricking even into doing this in a way that he ends up canceling all of his podcast appearances this week because he's so upset. It's like, what are you doing? The producers at this point and producers again, I hope you're listening. At least what it seems like through the document is that you have no respect for anyone in the show, not the players, not the leads, and that you will do anything to try and fuck someone over even pissing off a person that you've built to be a hero character, like an Avon. And if you actually want that Avon-Rachel Reckier relationship to blossom, why are you starting it off with this manipulative tone where everyone feels horrible? That, I mean, we've been talking about this the entire season. You have to get back to, producers, the idea that you're at the very least going to protect your lead and attempt to really give them a love story. And yes, you can do nefarious, malicious shit throughout the season. That's part of what we like, too. You have to (laughs) build up a fucking villain and get them out of there. But you can't have villains being ring winners. You can't have villains being leads. And you certainly can't have leads that are just getting demolished by the shit you're doing every episode. Protect your leads for the love of any god that exists. Protect your fucking leads so that we as an audience can have somebody to identify with and want good things for. When you're in a a situation where you're watching Rachel Recchia and Tino fighting in the ring back, give the ring back scene, and you're not on anyone's side, you need to be on a side. And by the way, I will say an exception. If you have the next Courtney Robertson, I am totally okay with a ring winner villain. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Somebody like that, a once in a generation kind of talent... (laughs) Sure. If you can do that, great. But, you know, I I don't know that you're going to find a Courtney Robertson every season. I don't know that you'll find a Courtney Robertson ever again, honestly. But um, I agree with you. I'm not saying that, like, all villains need to be washed out by midseason or anything. It's just that this kind of, like, post-facto villainy where it's like, okay, they're going to win the ring. And now a picture of blackface comes out. And now all these DMs come out. It's like they're, Mm. they're out of game villainy 
kind of like takes over whatever the narrative is in the show, that is something that you have to be better about too. And we've talked about like, fine, you didn't catch the blackface picture of Eric Schwer, but the DMs and shit and like, are you dating somebody before? I know that that uh, process, when you're getting into the show, they ask you these questions. And they talk to your exes, right? Uh, no, they don't do that. Generally speaking, oh, they, really? they take at mm. face value, whatever the player is telling them and players do have to go through a background check and kind of like a FBI style thing. They go through psychological yeah. tests. They go through a bunch of stuff to get into the game, but you can definitely lie about at least the, the seriousness of any relationships that you might be in immediately before the show. And I think they wouldn't be any the wiser. I guess it's just like people figure at this point, look, I won't get far enough. Or if I do, whatever, I just issue an apology. It's worth it. Speaking of protecting your leads, our number eight most important takeaway from the Windekia season is the rejection rose ceremony from hell. This is the all eggs, one basket week where Dark Lord Palmer and the producers had a scripted rose ceremony where they made Rachel Reckia get rejected by three players in a row. And then after this made Rachel Reckia bring back Meatball after he's like, uh, actually, I'd accept your rose too. Further supporting this feeling that nothing happening this season was real at all. And it was also bad producing. Back to number nine. Meatball <laughs> was just back in the fucking show the next episode. We never saw how that happened or why it happened. He was just like, I want to talk to you. And then the next thing we see, he's in the guy chat room. And there was a deleted scene where Rachel Reckia makes him clean the deck of the cruise ship. Another like more scripted bits. Yeah. Just terrible producing. Making it seem even less real. But that rose ceremony, the rejection rose ceremony from hell, in my opinion, they are now keyed into this idea that one rose ceremony per season must be the most dramatic rose ceremony because they did it with Clayton Eckerd. And from his rose ceremony from hell in season 26, they produced the dual lead of Bachelor 19. And so yeah. it becomes a piece of the narrative of every season. And so they tried to make this that rose ceremony by having three guys line up and say, sorry, I'd rather be with Gabby. Sorry, I'd rather be with Gabby. So that it produces in Rachel Reckia some kind of nervous breakdown. I'm sure they offered those guys paradise deals uh, in order to get this outcome. And then again, like Lizzie was saying, they fucking throw Meatball back into the thing. So his rejection didn't even fucking matter. It's like, what? I don't even understand any of this, what they're trying to do. And that also speaks to your point about I don't think they knew what the fuck they were doing this entire time. It was just like throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah. I mean, obviously they loved that rose ceremony from hell from Clayton season because they referenced it in all the limo exits that were demonizing Clayton, including the ch children's choir. Remember that they had singing about that? Oh, yes. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that. Don't you worry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I... It's, you know, there's there's themes that tie all these things together. But <laughs> that's why they chose Gabby and and Rachel was they were like, oh, they have the dynamic duo of victimization edits. This is our chance to do a dual lead. Yeah. And I don't believe they will ever do this again. No, uh, nor should they. They shouldn't have done it in the first place. And that's why I was theorizing that the idea probably came from the top, because I think it's such a bad idea mm. at its face that anyone 
with any amount of common sense would be like, no, we can't do that. It'll fuck up everything, including the basic structure of the game. But then also to not like drill down to even think about like, well, how do we do it with this player pool? Do we just let them date them both until the very end? Like, I don't even think they thought that far ahead about basic structural shit. No. But not to play Dark Lord's advocate, but or the <laughs> oh devil, the devil's lobbyist. But <laughs> no, there's only one devil's lobbyist. How dare you? You know who that is the great one, Nick Vial. But if you've watched, you know, other Bachelor producers show FY Island, they have a three lead. They have three leads every season, and they're able to do it. And the leads are still in this very power position. Mm. They're able to develop a friendship between them that seems very real and also navigate dating the same player pool. It's possible, but they just, they're so stuck in the one format, I think, that they weren't able to pull this off. And they're hindered by the the idea that it is about helping people find love. Fuckboy Island is not, that's an open game. Like they all show up and they're like, some of these people are here just to win money. You got to figure out who the fuck they are. And then they put them through a series of like open game formats. The Bachelor, for its entire existence, and I think until it goes away, if it ever fucking does, will it has to maintain that this is not a game, that the structure of this show is like some other bullshit that has nothing to do with what people are trying to do or strategies or anything. This is not a game. This is people finding love. And so I think they always get hung up on that. But let's move on now from the rejection rose ceremony from hell to our number seven most important takeaway from Bachelorette season 19. It was the return of the golden one, Sean Lowe. <laughs> now we know in the history of Bachelor, Sean Lowe is the only Bachelor to have married his first choice ring winner and still be together with her, have sired children with her, and is living the American dream. Anytime they bring this motherfucker back, it is to prove to the audience that this process works. You might think it's terrible. You might think it's bad. I know we've been involved in 200 racism scandals and everybody's cheating on people (laughs) when they come into the show and nobody winds up together and all the relationships end six months after the show. But look, not that one. He's Sean Lowe. And so they brought this motherfucker back at the after the final rose to basically put his anointing on A, the entire season, but specifically the next Bachelor coming in and on Eric Schwer, the only ring winner of this season. We haven't seen him in a while. We haven't really even seen Council of Crowns that go this this far back in a while. I mean, we had, you know, Michelle Young and... Who was it? Diana? No, not Diana. Desiree. Mm-hmm. Come back. But the power of the golden boy is so strong. And bringing, like, it's such a, you know, in this world, he's an A-lister. And they haven't had an A-lister be in the Council of Crowns who's not a podcast host in a minute. Yeah. He really is like, in the Marvel Universe, he's like the Captain America. He's like, he represents everything that is good and right and pure about the game. And to see him sitting there, they knew they fucked up, basically. That's what it meant to me. When you see him in that fucking audience, the producers are like, fuck, this season is a fucking train wreck. What do we got to do? How can we make it better? Yeah. Call the golden one. 
Have him come. Have him sit here. Have him shine his golden light upon us. How much do you think they paid him? I think they probably paid them 25 grand. Total? Yeah, to show up, sit in that fucking audience, and talk for 45 seconds or whatever whenever they threw it out to him. I think they gave them that. It made me think they are worried about the franchise when they did that. Yes. Because that's like a pull the alarm. They've got a dark red button in the corner. Okay, we got to get the golden the golden boy button has been <laughs> It's a golden button. It's a shining golden button in a room all by itself with a fucking <laughs> halo light shining on it. Only Mike Fleiss can touch it. He walks in there pair of gloves. Bring him in. <laughs> but uh it's always important when the golden one makes an appearance in our beloved game. And yeah, in this case, it was, I think, to to try and like salvage some of the mystique of the franchise in a season that utterly destroyed it, that stripped away. I mean, I just think that they are worried, and rightly so, again, producers, if you're listening, you should be, that this season turned people off from mm-hmm. the show, longtime viewers. I know that that is true. And another thing we're going to get to on this list is another reason for that. But I think that seeing Sean Lowe, for me, very much meant that the producers know they fucked up. Definitely. And uh, we'll get to another fucking thing in this list that is like proof positive of that as well. But let's move on to the number six most important takeaway from Bachelor at Season 19. It was the repeated kicking of the balls (laughs) of Clayton Eckerd throughout the entire season, but especially night one. We have never seen a lead vilified in this way in a season that they are not in again and again and again and again and again to the point that in night one, they had a fucking choir come out and sing a song called Clayton Sucks that was written by producers. Of children. Yeah, it was a choir of fucking children. (gasps) After the children were the ones who got him elected bachelor in the first place, supposedly, that he was so good farting around with the kids. Um, after uh, there were several limo exits, I believe at least three that were shitting on Clayton during night one. And so clues and I were so taken aback by this that we went back and watched the night one of Andy Dorfman because we were like, when, when possibly could they have done this to a former lead in this way? And we were like, well, Juan Pablo would be it. That would be the one where they would do it. And they barely mentioned it. There was like a slight allusion to soccer. They didn't focus on it at all. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. If you have sensitive skin, you're going to want to hear about One Skin's scientifically proven topical supplements. This is face, eye, body, shield, and it can all be used with any of their other products, which are free from over 1,500 chemicals, and preservatives that can make skin red, irritated, or itchy. Their products are safe for sensitive skin. It's just one of the reasons they've earned the Skin Safe seal of approval. You got to keep that skin glowing if you want to be keeping up the level of face play that I've got going on. And One Skin was founded by an all-woman team of scientists. Their products are backed by extensive lab and clinical data to validate their efficacy and safety on all skin types. Uh, Their topical supplements are the easiest way to keep your skin healthy and hydrated without the harsh ingredients or irritation found in other skincare products often. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. 
By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, one skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code ROSES at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code ROSES. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support Gore and tell them that we sent you. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Clues. Underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got... Ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc. You don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and <laughs> my. Um, <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about. But I am also wearing the super soft, sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. Mm. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, Me Undies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. Meundies. Comfort. From the outside in. Oh, they just focused on Andy Dorfman and elevating her and her love story. She's a lawyer. Great. That's also part of the the problem with two leads, I think, is you run into who the fuck are they? How do you promote either of their identities? Because there's just not enough time. And if you're promoting one over the other, then you're showing favoritism. So they can't really do that. And so it was like, what what piece of their identity do they do they both have, basically? What's right. the unifying factor? And it was that they got fucked over by Clayton. So I think they tried to hit that hard. It's because they were obsessed with the rose ceremony from hell. Yeah. And saying, this guy's a piece of shit. They could have uh, maybe done an intro package. Maybe show how Gabby's a nurse. How Rachel's a pilot. They're actually professionals. Nope. Fuck no. that. 
these two women got fucked over by Clayton Eckerd. Don't you forget it. And to do this to a person who is defenseless, try to put yourself in the shoes of the Ultimate Viking, being at home watching this season unfold, and they're just throwing your fucking name in the mud every 10 seconds in that night one. And then throughout the season, it happened a couple of other times. And you can't do anything about it. There's no fucking recourse. There is one recourse. Strong parasocial plays, which he and Susie, his girl Sue, did perform. That is very true. But that's all you can do. Yeah, that is all you can do. You Much fewer, fewer people are going to see that. Yeah, you'll never be invited to the document to stand up for yourself. And then they took the same strategy at the Mentel All to attack Hayden Markowitz about his fucking ailing dog, Rambo. They had people making fun of the dog. They had signs saying free Rambo as though Hayden Markowitz was some kind of like horrible dog owner. And he was not there to defend himself Mm -hmm. against any of this. And this kind of like low blow attack strategy that the producers now seem to employ at will, it just, again, deteriorates the, the, the luster of the show, the regalness of the show. And I think that's like they were trying to get a little of that back with Golden Boy, but... It's it's hard to do to just put like a a nice look. Look at the golden one sitting up there. It doesn't erase the fucking distaste that we have for the season to see you just kicking the shit out of your former lead. Also, what that does, by the way, is make no one want to be your lead. Or at the very least, we see what happened with fucking Zach Shawcross. <laughs> when they bring him out on that live stage, this motherfucker's a deer in headlights because all he's thinking is, am I going to be the next Clayton Eckerd? The season after my mm-hmm. season of Bachelor, are they just going to kick me in the fucking nuts across the next night one? All your lead is now thinking is they're scared and they're worried that you're going to do something bad to them because you do it every fucking time now. If he's done any research at all, the most relevant would be seeing the opening episode of Clayton as Bachelor in which he had to read mean tweets. So if I were Zach Shawcross going to that night, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to have to read mean tweets about myself. Yeah, it's terrible. You saw it on um, Rachel Reckia's face too when they said, when Dark Lord is like, and we've got somebody that we're going to bring out for you to meet right now. Surprise. The immediate look on her face is not like, oh, this will be fun. It's like, oh, fuck, what are they about to do to me now? Your leads are afraid of you. That is very bad. You have to change that. The leads have to trust that you have their best interests in mind. They have to trust that you have your fucking their back and that you're going to give them a fucking good edit and not try to destroy their lives. I don't think a lead has felt like that probably since season 22 of The Bachelor. I think Colton ended that. The fence jump really ended it. And then when you see what they did to Pilot Pete in season 24, just whipping him around, lying straight to his face about people not showing up at rose ceremonies and shit, the fucking Chase Rice date with Victoria Fuller. I mean, it just started to escalate to a point that was like, I can't believe any of this shit is real. And it's gotten worse and worse. They need to dial that back. Go back to the fucking basics, guys. Protect your lead. Put them on a pedestal. Yeah. I mean, God, that Chase... The Chase Rice thing really echoes through history because it's like, oh, if I'm the lead, you might find any one of my one night stands and have them play music for me on a one on one date. Like, ugh, yeah. So the ball kicking of Clayton, that was our number six. (laughs) We're sorry, Ultimate Viking, for everything you've gone through. And we cannot thank you enough for your service. Uh, Truly, when you were announced as The Bachelor, I didn't know what to think. I was not enthused. 
But after watching your season, I have developed an amount of sympathy for what you've done and amount of respect for what you did in our beloved game that is unmatched. Thank you. And I respect the hell out of their parasocial play as well. Our number five takeaway from the Windeckia season is a nautical one. The cruise ship. This was the first season where we had the whole cast on a cruise ship going multiple going from location to location. We had seen season 16 they did RVs touring the touring California, but this was, you know, a large scale production, an entire cruise ship that is theoretically emptied out for the production. And they incorporated it into the gameplay. Team Rachel and Team Gabby had these separated suites, which seemed to be underground, (laughs) poorly lit. And it also resulted probably in the first COVID case in Bachelor Nation history, Logan Palmer. And it was handled strangely. I mean, we've we've wondered for a while about what would happen if somebody got COVID since really since Bachelor at 16, I guess. Um, and here we finally see it. If you get COVID, you are disappeared. And they don't even tell the other players that you're leaving because of COVID, which is probably against some kind of fucking laws. I would imagine. I imagine if you're on a, a production of any kind and somebody in that production gets COVID, everyone must be alerted about it immediately, I would assume. And maybe they did do that. They just didn't show us that in the document. In the document, mm-hmm. we see Dark Lord Palmer come in and just go, Logan had to leave. Something happened between him and Gabby. And then the guys are like, what the fuck? There's ways to get out of that. There's like, oh, you could just have him. If you didn't get that footage, maybe you say, oh, I told them about it or something. Just it left so many questions and it left the nation being like, well, did he have COVID? Why is why isn't he wearing a mask? Why is yeah. why is no one else getting tested or anything like that? And this goes back to whatever number nine was the worst produced season in the history of the game. <laughs> they mishandled this COVID thing. I mean, from top to bottom, it was it just made no fucking sense. The fact that nobody else got COVID, no one believed he got COVID. I still don't know. I I, I like to take that information and believe it's true. He's gone on podcasts and talked about it a little bit. I like to believe that he is telling the truth, but I don't know because the way it was presented was so fucking strange and seemed to be like swept under the carpet and they didn't tell everybody. Nobody else got it. The The facts that I'm presented in the document don't seem to fucking add up with that. Mm-hmm. And that is how they handled their first COVID case by confusing the audience as much as possible, seemingly, uh, which in my mind is a mistake. You never want your audience to be confused about what's happening in the show you're making. <laughs> you want them to understand it very well and enjoy it, not have to go to fucking Reddit to be like, wait a minute, what the fuck happened? Did this guy have COVID? I don't know. I don't fucking know what he did. Moving on to number four. This is a very important one. We have a player named Eric Schwerer, the ring winner, the only ring winner from this dual bachelorette season 19. This is Gabby, Wendy's ring winner, of course. What do you mean? Tino's a ring winner. Yeah, a ring winner and loser, I guess. You're right. Yeah, you're right. He was a ring winner, and now he's a he's dismantled ring winner. Once you got that ring in hand, you're the ring winner. 
don't matter what happens. What That's happens true. After. You're right. He won the ring. Um, but here, our number four is that Schwer was made to answer for receipts that were leaked online about prior relationships before coming in the show that also were 4TWR accusations that he didn't think the game was real and he's just going in to further his career or whatever. And they put these uh, receipts on a screen, made him read them, discuss them, and Gabby had to weigh in as well as we saw. Now, my question about this is, this is becoming more and more common. Mm -hmm. Every season now, there's at least one or two players that shit comes out on TikTok or Instagram or, or somewhere from somebody they dated immediately before they went into the show that they had a prior arrangement saying like, wait for me when I come out of the show, we'll start dating again, or I'm just going into further my career, or this isn't real or whatever. Or in some cases, it's like they have some kind of relationship with people and then they just fucking ghost them to come on the show. But this is very mm -hmm. common. And it just becomes a statistical likelihood of will one of those people wind up a finalist, a ring winner, a late stage in the game, you know? Um, and it seems like it's happening more and more. So will this now... It happened twice this season. We have Nate as well. Yeah, absolutely. Nate as well. And he had a chance, I think, to become a ring winner or go even further potentially, but... And he had to answer for it as well. That is true. So will this just be now something that's part of the mental L, something that's part of the after the final roses every season? I don't know. I mean, they're, they basically said it's okay with Eric Schwer. I mean, they had him answer for it, but he got off with the line of like, oh, I just took the easy way out. I didn't want to let her down. Like, I was already planning on breaking up with her. Yeah, and Gabby maintained that he told her about all this before the show anyway, and then DLP demands that Gabby forgive him live on stage so that we can all see it on camera so that this relationship is valid and don't worry about this anymore. I mean, they did a very good job of building up Eric Schwer at the after the final rose, obviously to make him a legitimate ring winner mm -hmm. to get the forgiveness, to get the anointing from golden one, all of that stuff. Yeah. They played fairy tale music. They did. They gave him the best possible edit you could get in the situation. And there's another, a very big thing that they did for him, which we will be getting to at the top of this list, rest assured. I mean, it just seems like, why would you break up with your person if you can just get away with it? And like, who knows if you'll even get far so you can just keep your partner at home. But the idea of like, that you have to answer for these things that are happening outside the show, that is what I'm really taking out of this, is that there are more and more forced to do that whether it's this or like rachel kirkconnell's racism scandal or or whatever and again we're going to get to our number one thing on this list very shortly so hang in there but um the idea that whatever you're doing outside the show before you come into it that's going to come up now there is nothing that can be hidden if you dated anybody if you sent a text message to anybody before coming in the mm -hmm. show that person is going to put it on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, or reality. Steve's going to talk to them. You can't hide these things anymore. So is there ever a scenario where you can go a full season without at least one of these types of things coming up? I don't think there is anymore. I don't think so. I mean, unless you're picking from a pool from a convent or something like people who don't have any phones or dating history, like it's impossible. And like, even if you didn't wrong them, they can get a little clout saying that you did. 
yeah, seems statistically unlikely you would have a, a flawless season in that way. There are some things I think that have to change within the the culture of the show, specifically regarding social media and prior dating history. I think it has to be okay that you have shit on social media, not problematic shit, but that like you have a social media following. That has to be okay now. You mm-hmm. can't you can't demonize wanting to get Instagram followers. And it has to be okay that you are dating people right up until you're coming to the show. Because in many cases, players don't fucking know if they're going to be in the show. Casting producers string them along for literal months saying, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Even you've like been flown out to LA. You've met the fucking top producers. It seems to have gone well. I don't know. We're going to be shooting in a month. We'll let you know. And sometimes you don't get that call until the week before you got to fucking fly out. So what are you supposed to do? Put your entire life on hold for something that may not happen? And I, again, think that that is either the fault of the producers for not giving an earlier warning, which I don't know if they can because of production schedules and stuff. Like, that may not be on them. But at the very least, you shouldn't jump on the bandwagon of vilifying people for dating someone right up until they come into the show. Yeah, and maybe this is the exoneration of Eric Schwerer will be the precedent going forward that you are allowed to. I mean, we saw it last season, uh, Clayton's season, with uh, Cassidy Timbrooks was FaceTiming someone the night before she left and then right. got dinged for it. So, I don't know. It's going to be cuddle season. I remember that. <laughs> what? She told, I think, Sierra, that the guy she was talking to said, you know, after you come off the show, it's going to be cuddle season. Oh, my God. <laughs> Cuddle season <laughs> has to be okay. Normalize cuddle season. That's basically yeah. what I'm saying. Okay. You mean cuffing season? No, it was cuddle season. Oh. Okay. That's what they said. Anyways, let's move on. Our number three most important takeaway from season 19 of The Bachelorette is that for the first time in the history of our beloved game, we saw a dark lord stand front and center in that live studio and issue a fucking apology to the fourth audience for how shitty the entire season was. This is something I not only have never seen, I never imagined it was fucking possible. Admitting that this season we just made was a fucking trash can on fire. Admitting it directly to us. No, this didn't even happen on Matt James' season. Well, I don't think they could. They just wanted to fucking like, okay, <laughs> let's move on. This was <laughs> move on. But there was something, you know, in Matt James' season, at least they were adhering to the format. It still was The Bachelor with what, how many people were in that season? Like 35 because they brought in the five extra ones. It still was one Bachelor going through the the same kind of process with your regular seasons and your one-on-ones and group dates to the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. This was the the process itself, the conceit of it, the two leads. That's something that they can't put on the players. That's their idea. Mm-hmm. That's what the show is doing. That's what he was apologizing for. Absolutely. Who wasn't apologizing for what they should be apologizing for? Certainly. Yeah, look, I, I don't like to see DLP in that position. Poor guy. It wasn't his fault it was a dual lead. <laughs> you... <laughs> Okay. You saw the DLP apology and you were like, I feel bad for him having to make this apology. Yeah. I it's 
look that you know what I think it is. I've been thinking about it a lot. I'm like his innocence. Yeah. And it's because I see him in these little clips hosting other shows. You know, he's on like cooking shows and stuff. And like, and I guess DLH did that with like Millionaire. Mm-hmm. But he wasn't so much out there. He was pretty much solely Bachelor. And Jesse, he's talking football. It's like he, he has this whole rich life. Mm-hmm. He's not responsible. Well, he better get used <laughs> to shit like this because apologizing yeah. for like a, a shitty produced season is the tip of the fucking iceberg. Well, see, I don't know. I mean, we still have to get to number one, but I was going to say, like, wait until you have a giant racism scandal blow up in your season and they send you out on Good Morning America and Extra to apologize for that shit and you fuck it up completely and expose your own racism. Wait until he does that. (laughs) He would never. How dare you even put that into the universe? I'm just saying, like, this astounded me because it was the producers in one way or another essentially saying, we fucked up. Now, I don't know if they're going to remedy that or how they think they're going to remedy that if at all right. if they think the apology was enough they're like here oh, here's sean low that's the apology basically they should have had sean low say it bachelor nation <laughs> we're very sorry but uh, they didn't at any rate this open apology from dark lord palmer i don't know that we're going to see anything like this ever again i never imagined we would see something like this in the after the final rose i mean that's how they closed the season the last thing we hear is dark lord palmer saying into the camera, we hear you and we love you, Bachelor Nation. I I don't believe either of those things is true. I think that the producers have open contempt for the fandom. um, And certainly they don't (laughs) listen to anything we say. But they at least were going through the motions of a half-assed apology, which was interesting to me. Acknowledging that like this season sucked, basically. I think there were certain things that they were doing during that episode that were part of the apology. It was including the lows. Mm-hmm. It was having hashtag bachelor vote for the FIMP because all of the nation felt like they hadn't contributed to voting for Zach Shawcross for next lead. Which, by the way, that, that bachelor hashtag vote was fake. Like They just picked the player they wanted to get the FIMP. The player who had the picture that was still developing. You did the numbers? You counted the tweets? No, I did the logic of it, which was the only person who had a limo exit that had like a, a thing that took time to transpire and then there was going to yeah. be a result of it. The only player who had a limo exit that had like a little narrative path to something else where they could then put the picture up on their Instagram and shit like that was that player. They gave her that limo exit specifically for that and gave her the fucking rose. What do you mean a narrative path? There was the girl who said, this is how you remember my name. And then he didn't remember her name. End of narrative. <laughs> that too. And I still don't know if that if that was a scripted bit or if Jesse Palmer just fucking cuffed that one and was like, oops, I fucked him. <laughs> I don't know. They're like, look, we tried this thing with Clayton Eckerd where we kicked him in the nuts at the after the final rose last season. Don't do that. Don't kick him in the nuts. And then Jesse Palmer just can't help. He's like, I kicked him in the nuts a little. Sorry. Just a little, though. I don't think he, it was his idea. I refuse. All right. Well, let's move on to the number two most important takeaway from this season. It was the lowest Instagram count in the history of the game for both players and leads. We had Roby Sobieski, a night one guy, held on to a top five spot until almost the end of the whole fucking season. And as we sit right now, Neither of the two leads have hit a million, which is Michelle Young also didn't. 
But prior to her, every lead had hit a million going back to Andy Dorfman in Bachelorette anyway. And so right now, we've got Rachel Recchia sitting at, at, at least at the time of this recording on Thursday at about two in the afternoon. Recchia is sitting at 522,000 and Gabby Wendy has 917K. Um, you know, will she hit a million? I don't know. She's still on Dancing with the Stars. Her number's still going up a little bit this week. It's going to be very close if she doesn't. I think she's going to come close. I think she's going to come close, but I don't think Dancing with the Stars on Disney Plus is going to give her an 80K bump. I think she will get like probably half of what she got this. She got like 120 this week. I could see her yeah. getting another 60 just in the runoff, mm. but that's not all the way there. I don't know. We'll see. She's such a good parasocial player, though. I can see her getting like some viral shit happening, you know? I think she has a chance to still hit a million. But those two players, by the way, started at Gabby Wendy started at 470K at the beginning of this season, and Rachel Recchia started at 346. So Rachel Recchia was not even able to put on 200,000 new followers. We've just never seen anything like this. None of the guys did anything. There was only one guy over 100,000. That was Eric Schwer. He is right now at 195K, uh, at least again at the time of this recording. He put on 121,000 this week, but below him, You've got Avon Jones is the next closest guy to 100K at 88. And then you've got Zach Shawcross, your incoming bachelor, is only at 50. Tino Franco's at 47. Tyler Norris is at 50. It it was just an abysmal season. Nate Mitchell's at 81. Um, so he's coming close as well. Yeah, I believe... I mean, Clayton didn't have that high a number going in, but he was also in 11th place versus Shawcross, who's third but Shawcross had like 35k going into this announcement like not even the top of the people from this season these these Instagram counts they make me sad yeah <laughs> I don't like it I want to see everyone paid for what they are doing to get ABC this money absolutely I completely agree and I also think that a big part of this had to do with the dual leads, the half the screen time. No one gave a shit about any of these players because we didn't know who the fuck they were. All we really got to see was like a PTC getting played, a love level getting raised, and them talking about their PTCs and love levels. That's it. You know, there was nothing to like yeah. grab onto with any of these players. There was nothing like personal about them in any way. And I think it was just because there was there was such a small amount of screen time for each one of them. That, that is why this happened. Now, we're obviously going to be tracking Instagram counts of Paradise and next season of Bachelor, so on and so forth. There is also some argument to be made for the fact that TikTok is starting to become more important than Instagram and the influencer world. Mm -hmm. A lot of the top players didn't even have TikToks. Yeah. They need to have TikToks. I don't know what, what that choice is. Did Clayton hit a million? Do you think we'll ever see a Bachelor hit a million again? At the end of Clayton's season, he was at 306K. And he's now at 304. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see a Bachelor hit. We, I think we will, but it also is like they do themselves a disservice when they choose people. No offense to Clayton Eckert. No offense to Zach Shawcross. But when they choose people like that, that we don't know much about. It's like you have to be excited for these people to be Bachelor. You have to think to yourself like, fuck, I can't wait to see what this guy does. 
Pilot Pete, I think, was the last Bachelor they chose, really. Matt James, too. I think people were excited for Matt James. They just didn't know who the fuck he was. And he got mm-hmm. close to a million. He hit a million, didn't he? Matt James did hit a million for me. And I remember making the meme. Yeah, he hit it. But, you know, he was another player that was like, because he came in technically from outside the game, technically, even though he was cast as a player in Bachelorette Season 16, and obviously was best friends with Tyler Cameron. And, Part of the quarantine crew star. But I think you got to cast leads that people are excited about seeing. Zach Shawcross is not that guy. Because we didn't see anything of anyone in this fucking season. There was no one you could have cast from Bachelor 19 that would have made us excited. I don't think there's one player. Yeah, and there's not any plays that he did during this episode to change people's minds about it. They either didn't prepare him or he just couldn't hack it, but he didn't present some sort of star quality of like, now all of America wants to date me up there. No. And when you ask him that first question at the fucking after the final rose, how's it feel to be named the next bachelor? Uh, no words. Oh, no. <laughs> Didn't think I'd get this, uh, oh. this tough question. <laughs> oh, no. That's not right. Also, Dark Lord Palmer being like, finally a bachelor who doesn't look like me. Lol. Yeah, it's like looking in a fucking mirror, dude. I don't know if he was making like a sarcastic joke that I just didn't get or what. I don't think so. I think he was like, wow, he really looks different from me. He, he saw himself in Clayton. Yeah, I, exactly. I think you're right. I think Dark Lord was like, yeah, this guy's slightly different. His hair tone is slightly different. So it's not like me. Yeah, different color eyes. Truly disappointing to see these numbers. I hope that we will see it evolve and more players doing TikToks. The people who are putting in the work, like Ethan Kang, he got he got some jumps in his TikTok numbers. You can do it, and you should be doing it during the watchback. And we're already kind of seeing uh, that happen, I think, with Christina Mandrell. She was one of the first players that uh, Zach Shawcross got to meet at the After the Final Rose. She is an influencer. She has 30-some K on Instagram. She's in Nashville mm. making her content. And I hope that that is an indication that they're now willing to embrace the influencer. They're now willing to embrace the idea that social media is a part of this game. It is a part of the reward for playing it. And that it's okay to fucking have a following. It's okay for that to be how you make money. And it's a great way to promote your show. <laughs> Hello. Well, that too. I mean, they got to get on board with that. You, you want people coming into the show who already have an audience. Yeah. That way they bring their audience to it. And they are obviously good on camera and good on screen and engaging and charismatic and people that we want to follow and learn more about. And now for our top takeaway from the Windecia season. This is unfortunate. We've been hinting at it throughout this whole top 10. It weaves into every aspect of this finale and this show and this franchise. Our number one takeaway is the treatment of race within the franchise is backsliding. There was not a single mention of Eric Schwer's yearbook photo that emerged in which he has done blackface. And this was the main thing that we were watching for to see how they would handle this. I didn't, I guess I'm still naive in that I thought a hundred percent it would be addressed. They've addressed smaller scandals than this, but 
Obviously, there was a desire to promote at least one love story coming out of this season with two bachelorettes and not like they completely screwed over both women. They couldn't have two leads and and zero love stories. So they kind of force it. They have him address the smaller scandal that's about dating. And in a three hour show, they fail to bring this up, which is you know, a lack of action is an action. And that is exactly what this was. It was like, we were just uh, paying lip service to, you know, trying to trying to tackle racism in our franchise. And it was extremely disappointing. I couldn't agree with you more. After that, after the final rose ends, and they made no mention of it, to me, it invalidated everything they said they're, they've been trying to do since Matt James's season, and even before that, really. It just is all a lie. This is a giant corporate greed machine who doesn't give a fuck about anything except placating the people who have a problem and keeping your eyeballs on the screen. They don't fucking care. This decision was made at the highest levels. If they've got his DMs about the relationship that he had prior to the show, and they're like, how are we going to handle this? They definitely know about the fucking blackface. And I mean, Gabby Wendy went on, um, uh, I don't know, People or Us Weekly. She There's a video of her uh, on one of the other coverage outlets talking about how, yes, they did have to have some very hard conversations about it, et cetera, et cetera. Why is Gabby doing that video? Exactly. Like where he was, I don't know. And again, I don't mean to like, make this sound like I'm saying he's a piece of shit or anything like that. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't know what the situation is. I don't know if he is really truly apologetic. He put out his apology on his Instagram. No, we're saying the show is a piece of shit for not bringing this up. Exactly. A show that has said so many times, we're doing better. We want to cast more diverse. We want to show these stories. We're hiring executive producers, executive producers who can help us show these stories in better ways, et cetera, et cetera. What about this? This is one of the biggest racism scandals that has happened in the history of the fucking show, and they disappeared it. We can't talk about that one. Sorry. Ha ha ha. And they never will. They spent the entire After the Final Rose talking about it with Rachel Kirkconnell and Matt James. And obviously, he was the first Black Bachelor, so maybe it was something they felt they couldn't dodge in a, in a similar kind of way here. Yeah, like it's not as relevant because these are all white people. It's even... it's. It's so relevant and it could have been this huge teaching moment. And, you know, I remember when Matt James was talking about like, this is the first time some of these people are even going to see a black man in their living room, like on the TV. Mm -hmm. And I was like, there's so many people who have shit like this and don't and maybe don't even see it as that bad or whatever. It could have like it could have done something real to address it on in this format and not as whatever a, a news article online just papering over the whole thing and for them to say like we hear you we're listening we're trying to do better at the end of the episode was yeah. just just felt like a slap in the face and and we've had several people like reach out to us and they're like we love the podcast i just can't do it after after that episode they have they have ended lifelong fans with with this action. Absolutely. It's unforgivable. And again, this comes from the highest levels. These decisions to include shit like this or not, this isn't just like some rank and file producer being like, oh shit, I forgot to produce the blackface apology segment. (laughs) It's 
they've had multiple meetings about how will they handle this? Will they handle it at all? And I'm not saying it was an easy decision. I'm sure it was probably a hard decision to decide to not include this, but it was the wrong decision. That's the important thing here. You don't make this fucking decision. It's it's so fucking insulting to anyone who believed that you were actually trying to turn a corner with this franchise and make it more sensitive in areas of diversity and representation. It's exposing the lie. KB said she thought she was there in order to address it. She thought that they were all going to talk about it. Who said that? Caitlin Bristow. Oh, no shit. Yeah. I wonder why she thought that. Maybe they told her that. I'm like, oh, you like somewhat misled people. We've had several people respond to this. Unfortunately, fucking Rachel Lindsay has to come in and say something. She's like, sigh. Somebody has to say it. This is the picture they should have posted and addressed tonight in the finale instead of text from the ex. They really missed the mark on a necessary and important conversation that was not that was initially not conveyed. This was an opportunity for Eric Schwartz to put action to his Instagram post rather than hide behind it. Unfortunately, not all of us can hide in the same way when we are so highly offended by it. Big Body Trash Can fiance of Becca Kufer and Thomas Jacobs also said, not going to lie, pretty disappointed that they didn't address the issues that were going on outside of those text messages. At this point, if you're on social media, we've all seen it, especially in the specific context of racial relations when it comes to this franchise in particular, to have a scenario like this and to just not even bring it to light, especially after everything that's happened, bringing us to this point over the last three years, it's pretty disappointing. And this is where you might be able to do unionization play. This is where all players who are currently on Paradise about to air, and I know you don't want to do this because I know Paradise is your Mm -hmm. chance to fucking get your numbers up and all that shit, but there's a unionization play here to be made. Everyone on Paradise refused to go on any official Bachelor Nation podcasts. All of you do it. And I think that carries weight. Or all refuse to go to the Paradise reunion. That too. That would carry weight. Unless you're going to discuss it. Paradise players, you have the power right now. You are in the driver's seat. You can control the future of this game at least a little bit in terms of... It's been done before. ...what you'll do and what you won't do. So if any Paradise players are listening, spread the message to the other Paradise players that this show is in bad situation and it's because the producers are controlling it. They don't know how to do this show anymore. That's clear from the season all the way up to what we're talking about here. I mean, I'm saying this: the decisions to not talk about the blackface photo came from the highest echelons and it probably did, but all the producers went along with it because they want to keep their fucking jobs. Yeah. And did any of them quit over it? I don't know. I think that's possible, actually. I'd love to hear that story, but we'll never fucking hear it because they're all signed to contracts that are even more insane than the players. Creams and serums are made of 70% water, 15% preservatives and emulsifiers, leaving only around 15% for the active ingredients that your skin needs. But luckily now, there's fiber skincare. 15 years ago, the scientists behind fiber skincare started working on nanofibers, which are 500 times smaller than human hair. You know, I... I saw that in um, Three Body Problem. Mm. One year ago, they patented a way of wrapping the nanofiber around oil or liquid-based ingredients. This means they can deliver five times the active ingredients compared to creams or serums as there is no need for water, preservatives, 
or emulsifiers. The first formulation made with this technology is plant-based, anti-wrinkle. Uh, it's a set of patches that you use over a series of seven days. You just put these on whenever you would apply your serums, and your skin is going to feel tighter in 10 seconds. And over the seven-day oh. program, it has been clinically proven to reduce wrinkles by, get this, 19.4%, a very precise percentage. In fact... Mm. They have a tighter skin guarantee. If your skin isn't tighter in seven days, they're going to give you your money back. No questions asked. You get the tighter skin guarantee with this seven-day routine. Tighter skin or your money back. Get a 15% discount code by using the discount code GAME. That's Fiber Skincare. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. <laughs> I I was thinking, I was like, this was the last episode, the last chance to address it in this public forum. When would be the next? And it's like, all I can think of is the Paradise Reunion. But it's like, plays like this have worked before. The Paradise players, well, the, the players from Matt James' season and then Katie Thurston's all unionized, right? No, Matt James and Matt James women. It was Matt James's women unionized and then the men of Katie Thurston's. Yeah. And all posted this post in support of Rachel Lindsay during the Chris Harrison uh, fiasco. And and Katie Thurston did that tweet. And these things cause real action. And Chris Harrison is no longer the host of the show. Like these things can actually. Yeah. Demand that Dark Lord Palmer be fired. Unless <laughs> no, well, we don't need to go that far. <laughs> no, I mean, I don't know how you get any kind of like actual answer about this, but even just like the act of protesting, I think is important within this game. And this is true of any fucking professional sport. It's like Colin Kaepernick taking a knee. You have a national audience. You can make protests for whatever reasons you want. In this case, I think mm -hmm. a very good one that the, the sport you're working for, the franchise that you're making money for, chose to completely ignore potentially the most important thing that happened to a fucking ring winner this season, this giant racism scandal. I like the podcast one. I think that's a good one. And they could announce it via Instagram, like all posted. None of us are going on the official Bachelor Nation podcasts during Paradise. Maybe it's like until you have uh, Eric Schwer on to talk about the blackface photo, until you have him on Happy Hour, a very special episode. Oh, yeah. Yes. Demand Eric Schwer on happy hour. That is the largest audience. That's where it should be done. Now we're doing their job for them, though, because that episode would be huge and they'd make a lot of fucking advertising money off of it. And they never had to put it in the real show anyway. I don't care. Uh, then they're, well, I mean, I. Yeah, I retract my idea. <laughs> you retract your idea. I yeah. just don't like that. They're going to get away with this. They, But that's what they fucking do. The show is a giant lie. They get away with lying to you every season. I know. Not for long. I know. I'm always tricked. At any rate, 
That's our top 10 rundown. We hope you've enjoyed it. And now we're going to get into our... Uh, or I guess we have a couple other ones that were honorable mentions. Sorry. Yeah. Now that we're riled up and mad, let's give our awards. Here were some honorable mentions. We have three of them. One was that Meatball was Meatball. We've never seen a player identify with a food item so much, so often, to have his entire identity within the game be about, in this case... Sauce, mm-hmm. literally sauce. Were they trolling us? You tell me. I will. They were. It's very. It's a very smart like night one paradise strategy. You just brand yourself so strongly, especially with food. They love yeah. making players' personalities all around food. And this was a hardcore fool strategy that did work out. Now we also have the first dad coming at the show on Instagram and Facebook. In Tino's dad <laughs> firing off all this crazy shit about how he's not a vampire and fuck the show. <laughs> He's a gentleman's five six. Yeah, thank you, Tino's dad. Added so much to the lore. And we also want to mention that this was the first time in history we got to see America's first impression rose. Uh, this kind of like shitty attempt to incorporate social media into the game, revealing that the producers don't understand social media still to this day, how to use it, how to excite people about it at all. But this was the first America's first impression rose. That is historic, so it deserves a mention. We might see it continue farther. Maybe America will be voting on even more stuff Love Island style, and this will be the start of it and maybe should have been in our top 10. We'll only know with time will tell. Time will tell. And speaking of time telling, let's now move on to a different time and tell our season ending awards. Who you got, Pace Case, for your creature of the season? For dazzling us with their white coat, and they're frolicking, strutting their stuff throughout the season, inspiring what we called the horse race between Gabby Windy and Rachel Recchia. Blanco the horse was my... <laughs> Creature of the season. Blanco the horse was also my... Creature Creature of the the season. season. (laughs) The equine symbol of our beloved game will always hold a special place in my heart because I bought a horse statue at Villa de la Vina at the estate sale, but also because the horse has been (laughs) in our beloved game so often, so many times, so many dates. Uh, You even saw More than any other creature. More than any other creature. That's man. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and technically besides uh, bacteria, single-celled organisms, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. But um, you also saw the first Grandy in history by Lindsay Cox in season 16 was riding in on a horse. So mm. the horse has a special place in our heart. And this horse was very special. Might have even been the horse that came back at the end to see Tino and Rachel Recchia riding out on him. I don't know. Totally possible. I don't know. Looks like maybe the same. Perhaps. But let's move on. Who was your Jorge Moreno bystander of the season? (laughs) For her gorgeous, chaotic spirit guide energy on Zach Shalcross and Rachel Recchia's one-on-one, Lorelai the Love Witch was my Jorge Jorge Moreno Moreno bystander bystander of the the season. season. She was a good one. I loved that she, you know, predicted things for the future as well as crashing that table down. I think whenever you can take down the set in a big moment, in a big flourish, you go for it. I agree. She was very strong, Jorge Moreno. 
But mine was different. The mayor of Cheesetown was my Jorge Moreno bystander of the season. I just loved everything this man did. He had a very specific visual presence. He presided <laughs> over one of the most important group dates uh, the entire season where we got to see shirtless men lifting cheese on their shoulders. And mm-hmm. I think he added something to that entire group date and that entire episode that was just magical beyond belief. And I hope I run into this guy one day. I Immediate correction, Lorelai the Love Witch was during Avon and Rachel Recchia's one-on-one date, oh. <laughs> not Shellcrest. They all run together because we didn't get to know any of them that well. Let's move yeah. on. Who was your face player of the season? This one really surprised me, and I could never have predicted it going into this season. But Rachel Recchia was my face player of the season. Left and right, so much emotion, so many shocked faces, just really working harder than any other face player this entire season by far, in my opinion. Completely agree. That is why Rachel Recchio was also my face player of the season. 100% agree with you. Giant surprise. Didn't see this one coming, but she really could put the face play on. I was very excited to see this. Very surprised. I love when a player does something that you're not expecting. Thank you, Rachel Recchia, for this incredible face play. Let's move on now. What was your error of the season? Nate Mitchell's failure to tie up loose ends in the preseason was my error of the season. I believe he was given a crown edit up until this up until this point and he could have been bachelor but he did not tie up those loose ends in a way that didn't lead to a scandal involving him which ended up with him apologizing obviously the show could have just ignored it like they did with the blackface but it ended up costing him the crown i believe this was a big error I agree with you. I do think Nate Mitchell had the possibility to wear a crown, and I do think his preseason play fucked that up. But my error was different. Tino bringing a notebook to the breakup was my... (laughs) Error of the season. And I don't mean the notebook specifically. Obviously, that's just a metaphor for his entire play during that breakup. Trying to turn the tables on a lead and victimize yourself with these receipts and quotes that you're bringing in this notebook that seemed fake anyway, or at least very slanted toward his narrative of the events that transpired. You you simply cannot do this. If you're going in, especially because you're fucking being accused of infidelity, there's no justifying that. There's nothing you can say to me, well, (laughs) you said this and that made it okay. You can't do that. You have to only sincerely apologize and hope that there's some way to reconcile. And then it's the ball's in their court. Beg forgiveness. Beg That's forgiveness. all you could have done here. And Tino did not do that. He did go out with the flourish, though, the shirtless taking off of the mic out in the backyard where it was 145 degrees. Yeah. I did like that play quite a bit. <laughs> but this bringing in the notebook, the strategy that he brought into the breakup was just a fucking massive error. 
And it obviously did him no favors. And if you were going to write a whole breakup notebook, at least publish it on social media so I can read it. Yes, exactly. Give us the documents. Let's move on now from the error to the opposite. What was your play of the season? For turning the tables on the lead after fantasy suites, perhaps inspired by the great Andy Dorfman on Juan Pablo season, the Shalcross 180 4TRR victimization play by Zach Shalcross was my play of the season. I believe this is what got him the crown. It was the justification the producers were looking for and perhaps encouraged. It didn't really make a lot of sense. We still don't really understand what happened during the fantasy sweep, but it gave enough of a villain edit to Rachel Recchia during that episode that I guess someone was clamoring for him to be Bachelor. It was a fantastic play. Couldn't agree more, but it was not my play of the season. Gabby Windy pinching Eric Schwer's nipples was... I'm just kidding. Zach Shawcross's <laughs> 180 was my... Play of the season. Uh, it a hundred percent. I was I was hoping that would make it into this list somewhere. <laughs> it was one hundred percent what got him the crown. It was a brilliant play. You go into fantasy suites. You do something in the fantasy suites. We still don't know what it was. Was it a political conversation? Was it a religious conversation? Was it bad chemistry play? We don't know. But for whatever reason, in that fantasy suite, things changed in a way that allowed him to come out being victimized. And we know that you want to go out in third place if you want that crown. We know you got to get that victimization if you want that crown. He did both with this 180 move. Brilliantly played. And it paid off for him. So now let's move on to the best player of the entire season. Who was your MVP? For his face play for his booming voice for his securing of the celeb family member, regardless of political affiliations for his mirror childhood experience of seeing planes with dad and for the Shalcross 180, Zach Shalcross was my MVP of the season. hard to not get the MVP of the season when you, you know, are getting that much screen time, especially in the finals, and especially when that leads you into what some might think is an unlikely choice of being the next lead. I agree. He was a strong contender. I, I think there are only a few choices you can have here, but I chose someone else. Eric Schwer was my... MVP of the season. Now, I know this is a controversial choice, especially given what we said about our, our number one takeaway, that they did not address the blackface. Well, that's why that's part of why I think he's the MVP. Whatever he did, whatever third audience game he was playing, this man disappeared a blackface picture. That is not an easy thing to do. And it means the producers want to elevate you to this kind of unassailable position that you are a true and valued ring winner. And he did play a good season up until that. A very 4TRR season. His hometown was fucking flawless. Easily the best hometown of the entire season of any player. Um, and he walks away with a ring. He raised a wall. He 
kind of got us to believe maybe he won't propose, maybe he will, and then he did. He did everything by the book, everything correctly. He handled two out-of-season scandals. I mean, perfectly. All the while going through, his father died during this during this time, so... That too. Incredibly stressful time for Schwer to be doing all of this. And he's come away with the most Instagram followers of this season <laughs> by far and is now maybe in a happy relationship with Gabby Wendy. I don't know how much of that's real, but he's at least presenting that. And he got an anointing from the golden one as well, as did Shao Cross. But yeah, he was my MVP just for like straight gameplay. Again, I'm not saying it's good that he's avoiding the blackface thing. I'm saying it's good play in terms of the construct of our game to not even have to address that. And after the final rose is astounding. I mean, I don't think that was his choice. It's not his choice overtly, but it is the result of how he played this season. They had to do that for him. He he painted them into that corner, you know? <laughs> I think there's a lot of other factors that contributed, uh, aka the whole rest of the season blowing up, but... Maybe indeed. What was your wowie of the season? My wowie moment of the season is what I just talked about. They didn't address any of the blackface stuff in the finale. This was also my... Wow, of, of the, the season. season. It's just so hard to make sense of. I mean, I, I, I guess I can see their logic or whatever, but in the end, you've built up a, at least a little bit of faith, of trust in the fourth audience that yes, you are aware of the racial problems in this franchise over the past four or five mm -hmm. seasons. You've done a little yeah. bit to curry some good favor there. It's all gone now. And you had to have known that by making this decision, that whatever work you think you've done yes. in the past couple of seasons, that that will be fucking eliminated. And they still chose to do it. That to me is just like, I don't fucking get it. I just do not get it other than, again, they're still trying to promote this idea that this show can help people find love. <laughs> I don't think many people give a shit about that anymore. That's not why anyone's watching. Clearly, you know, and you can have the golden one show up and you can have the fucking ring ceremony and explain the text from the ex. It just doesn't. No one cares. Mm -hmm. And then also the fact that you don't celebrate the relationships that do come out of it. You disown Matt James and Rachel Kirkconnell. You disown yeah. Clayton Eckerd and Susie Evans. So we know that you don't give a shit about that either. So at the very least, keep doing this. Keep doing the thing that you said you were going to do and the thing that you kind of have been doing. In the past seasons, you know, this is the same show yeah. that gave us that conversation between Tasha Adams and Ivan Hall that we had never seen anything like that in this franchise. And now it's come to this. We talk about this all the time, that The Bachelor is a microcosm of the larger United States, and they're both founded on a history of racism in the recent past and kind of tried to paper have tried to paper over it and be like it's done without really contending with like what actually happened you know the bachelor has just sort of vaguely said like we understand we've like had troubles in this area but they haven't been like hey yeah we cast all white casts for two seasons hey we didn't let anyone who was a player of color get into the finals except Mary Delgado for decades. <laughs> like they haven't. Yeah. They haven't truly contended with that. Mm -hmm. And it does just feel like 
They fired Chris Harrison because they had to. They addressed the Rachel Kirkconnell stuff because they were forced to and that they wished to just move on, pretend like racism doesn't exist anymore. While saying we hear you at the end of the episode. Wow. <laughs> but that does it for our top 10 breakdown, top 10 takeaways of everything that happened in Bachelor Season 19, Bachelorette Season 19, sorry. We hope you enjoyed it. And we hope that you are ready for next week. Paradise starts Woo. and Pace Case is going to be on vacation. She's visiting uh, all, she's visiting every one on one date spot that has ever occurred in Europe. <laughs> And she's going to be making a six-hour documentary about it, as I understand. Is that accurate, Pace Case? Look, I'm going to try to go to the the breakup bench, <laughs> the Nate Mitchell breakup bench, and that's all I promise an attempt to do that. But I would love to see that. We can't thank you enough for your service. But uh, I'll be there next week to deliver a recap of Paradise and Twibbon with the Dark Seeker next Friday. And then the Monday after that, we are going to have a fucking insane digging deeper because it's going to have clips from all of the fallout that has happened post Windekia so and what everybody is talking about on all these podcasts. So we hope you join us for all that. And then I'll be back for Paradise. Don't worry. Yes. And then Pace Case will rejoin for Paradise. But before we go, once again, I just want to wish good luck to all the players coming into our beloved game, all the rookies going out. This is a fun time of year at least for me, to know that all those rookies are in season 27. All your kids going off to school. They're shooting right now. It does kind of feel like that, but um, good luck to them. I, I'm very curious to see what happens in this season. And as bad as season 19 was, I do think that we're in store for a, a much more entertaining Bachelor season 27. That's kind of at least a return to form with a singular lead. So many of the problems that we just described in our top 10 list will not be present for that season at the very least. I hope not. <laughs> Me too. And before we go, as always, what is that dwab at? It has been 7,487 days without an Asian bachelor. Praise be Dark Lord Palmer. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us. And then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then